With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I've been McGarry, and in the absence of Mr. Duncan Castles, who is having his butterfly catching sojourn, we have another butterfly collector. Certainly, he would be if he could sing the Weller classic whenever he gets the chance. Uh, Mr. Graham Hunter, uh, presenter and analyst on La Liga TV, as well as journalist and, of course, author uh, uh, and podcaster. You can catch him on the big interview uh, and of at Bumper Graham on. Twitter. Graham, you had some big news at La Liga TV this week in terms of a new signing of your own. Very exciting times. Yeah, it's extraordinary in that um, this is a moment when La Liga is being poached in terms of um, talent again by the Premier League. So it's nice to reach out, find that the right hoop is still there and leave the Premier League with a bloody nose because what you're referring to is the fact that Gary Lineker is joining La Liga television. Um, It's something that uh, La Liga tell me they and he have been uh, jockeying to find the right way to do. He's been up for it for quite some considerable time, but given that he was you know, heavily committed to the BBC and to BT and to some of the services around the world that come in and grab him as a freelance, it was hard to achieve. Um, you know, he played here successfully. People forget that he played in a cup-winning side under Luis Aragonés. Many people don't remember that. Uh, at a time when Barcelona was in complete turmoil, when the players went on strike, when Luis Aragonés had to come out of his commitment to being Barcelona manager because of stress, long before Simone Biles and um, other athletes made it clear that we need to talk about this issue, Luis Aragonés was pilloried for it, but but you know went and, and, and took his counselling and got better and was... Garlinica's coach, when they beat John Toshak's uh, Real Sociedad in, in the cup final, they went on and took that cup win into a cup winner's cup win against Samp. Uh, the Samp that Barcelona would go on and play, um, I think, four years later at Wembley in 92 without Garlinica, but then it was a Spurs footballer at that stage, beating the Viale Mancini Sampdoria side in the cup winner's cup final. Again, um, Lineker played in those two games, made, this, made the assist in the Spanish cup final. His record against uh, Real Madrid is pretty exemplary, including a hat-trick in a 3-2 win. When, when things like that happen in La Liga, you remain a pretty cherished, I'd even go so far as to say beloved figure. His broadcasting experience is, um, is beyond reprimand. And La Liga told me that, and sorry, La Liga told me on the day of the announcement, about early afternoon, the announcement of what coming out at nine, that they'd had two million impressions on their tweet saying Gary Lineker's joining us, two million. I mean, you and I knew that his impact would be uh, important, w- would change the perspective of not how La Liga's played, but how it's analysed. So it, it feels to me, although it's a limited signee, he's not there full-time for the whole of the league. He's, he's coming in and out for the big matches, which is understandable. It feels like, it feels to me like it's a good signing. It's sensational signing. Um, and of course, any of you out there who have uh, joined Graham and I in the foyer of the Princess Sophia Hotel <laughs> adjacent to the camp now will be uh, very aware that uh, Mr Lineker was up also a regular uh, in that foyer along with Terry Venables and Stephen Howard. Uh, that's some tan you've got there, Ron as Steve would often say uh, about another one of our company. Uh, Graham, this will be a La Liga special, which of course we will be delving into your expert knowledge of what's going on in the market in Spain and of course how that's impacting in the Premier League. Start off though, we're just going to top the programme with a little bit of update on Manchester City, who have finally, finally decided that it's time to push the boat out and get the best players 
at very high prices indeed. It's our understanding that the deal to take Jack Grealish from Aston Villa is very close to completion. Uh, the personal terms with the player on a five-year contract have been agreed uh, subject to, of course, uh, a fee being agreed with the club and a medical being completed as well. Um, That will obviously be in excess of £100 million with regards to the fee and wages, of course, on top of that, making it a significant investment in the Young England International. And as Duncan told you all last week, it looks like Grealish is going to play in the number eight role, not as a number 10 or as a wide player coming in uh, to the centre as he's been doing for Villa. But actually, one of the reasons that he is very attracted to go to City, uh, apart from obviously the opportunity to compete for trophies, is because he will be a linchpin in that team in terms of creative play. So, very interesting. Of course, the other player that I referred to was Harry Kane, the England captain, uh, who is proving somewhat more difficult to extract from Tottenham Hotspur than Grealish is from Villa. Uh, That's because, of course, as we all know, our old friend Daniel Leverage big listener to the podcast, uh, doesn't like to uh, let anyone go easily and indeed will fight tooth and nail for the best possible deal. However, again, uh, having spoken to people close to Kane and close to the conversations which have already happened regarding Kane's proposed move to the Etihad, it appears that Kane's uh, overall uh, desire to make the move should should, not definitely, but should be enough to uh, make sure that that move does actually happen uh, before the transfer window closes at the end of the month. Uh, Also, uh, it will be an excess of £100 million fee. Uh, Wages will be very, very expensive in Kane's case, as he is the highest paid player at Tottenham Hotspur. And that, of course, will give City... Uh, a real advantage when it comes to defending the Premier League title, as well as, of course, the uh, golden uh, chalice of winning the Champions League, which is what uh, the owners uh, uh, from Abu Dhabi have always coveted more than anything else. Graham, just before we go on to La Liga, what's the view from Spain with regards to this splurge by City and this show, if you like, of economic power and might with regards to simply cherry picking the best players from teams around them in England because their way of operating in the last five years and certainly under Guardiola has been to actually buy players from abroad. Look, I can't tell you um, the view from Spain in terms of if you wanted voices from the media, for example, because they've been obsessed with their own transfer market. Um, there's been real turmoil here. There's still an obsession about the Superliga. Spain are in the final of the Olympic tournament, having been in the semi-final of the Europa, uh, Eurocopa, as they call it over here, European Championship, as you call it, Britain. So um, c- clearly this interfaces with the argument about the Super League because one of the things that, although I have always believed that Florentino Perez, more still than Cerezo and Gilmarín Atleti, and Bartomeu first at Barcelona before he was ousted and then Laporta now as president, I've always felt they've been misguided both in, in, in how the Super League is drawn up and how they announced it, the, the the way in which they fight on in what I think is a losing battle. And, and it's certainly they're beleaguered because the English clubs have given up and said sorry. Atleti has given, have given up and said sorry. There's only three remnants. But one of the things that undoubtedly Florentino Perez is arguing, the president of Henry doesn't know, the president of Real Madrid, is that he, he can't, they can't, he can't, they can't compete with state clubs. Now, argue out. It's not an argument I'm interested in today about whether City are generating all their finances or, or whether their owners help them. I'm really not currently that concerned about the the fine tuning of the the case that's going on about previous alleged previous FFP breaches. What it's apparent is that some of what Florentino, but other presidents of clubs that are neither owned by foreign billionaires nor owned by 
um, state, royal families, call it what you want, argue is that right now, and particularly in the current climate where finances are extremely tight and revenue has dwindled, that clubs like PSG and City particularly, not alone, but also clubs where there's a billionaire funder like Abramovich. The argument is from run-of-the-mill clubs, but run-of-the-mill clubs who've, who've made a, a habit of consistently buying the best players, going into debt and, and winning all the trophies. Their argument is, oh, well, it's not fair now. So when this is, if, if it's the case that a city that have been dominant in England, you know, pound for pound, even including Liverpool over the last what should we say, Ian, eight, nine years, let's say pound for pound, they've been the dominant team. They're getting, they're inching closer and closer to winning the Champions League. If they're about to reinforce a deeply impressive title-winning squad with an expenditure on transfers alone over a cup hundred million, plus the wages, um, patently there will be some in Spain within the clubs who will rattle their sabres and say, look, here's still more evidence about the need for a Super League and how it's uneven and all that. I don't have a lot of sympathy for them on that argument because throughout our, your and my, and most of your listeners' lifetimes, the other clubs have been having to suffer that with regards to, to Barcelona or at some stages Juve or, or Milan or, or Manchester United, Chelsea in recent times, and certainly in terms of Real Madrid. So there, there was nobody in this country who, who was angling to buy Grealish or Kane. So there... Their disappearance to another football club outside Villa or Tottenham isn't relevant to the strategic planning of the leaders of La Liga. But the amount that City are able to spend will be the thing that gets seized upon if these deals are eventually done. And, you know, there was a hair's breadth between City winning the, the Champions League and Chelsea winning the Champions League last summer. I thought I interviewed Guardiola, um, let me see, uh, just after the semi-final this season. And we talked to him, and I thought it was a productive discussion about the, he went into detail about the thin margins that have always been the case. Sometimes they've gone his way. I, 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 he was out, he went to, you know, great pains to insist that irrespective of the brilliance of Busquets and Xavi and Iniesta and Messi and sometimes Eto and whoever else, uh, as he won his Champions League, Thierry Henry, um, he felt that there were, there were patently clear moments where he got the rub of the green. And patently clear moments for Man City in the in the build up to the to the final in Portugal, where this time he reckoned they'd got rubber the green, particularly in the Paris free kick, um, compared to maybe the rubber green they didn't get when legitimately goal was called offside against Spurs in the season that Spurs went to the Champions League final, but also the Llorente handball and the build up to the score, the goal that actually got Spurs into the semi final. Blah 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 blah. But there are cat's whisker away from being European champions for the first time already. And if these two are added, you know, I think it's not the forum. You're not going to ask me about Kane and, and, and Grealish at City. I have my reservations about Kane. I would take the money if I were um, Daniel Levy. Without any question, I would take the money. But um, reinvestment is something that they've got to be extremely keen about, given um, a new coach the 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 fans pay, fans and potentially the sponsors being a little bit disenchanted um, no Champions League and they have to find a type of replacement that's it doesn't appease people that's a lot of bollocks the type of replacement that helps them win trophies you know we mustn't lose sight of what buying is about it's not to have a, a landmark signing it's 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 not to appease people to get the press off your back no nonsense so if they've got somebody out there that they think that they can trade in on a profit when when Kane goes to City, it's a deal that they should definitely take. And, and the Spanish reaction, if you ask me again in a month, when potentially, as you report, the deals are done and the Spanish clubs have, have done their market, then you'll find the reaction growing to, to City already a potent threat, having spent so much money on two high-quality footballers. Certainly is the case, Graham, with regards to um, what City are planning. Um, I, I think it's very interesting that uh, when they won the Premier League title before this one uh, in last season, they didn't strengthen sufficiently, and nowhere near it. And Pep uh, went to the, the board and to Caldon Al-Mubarak and said, we must strengthen from a position of strength. Here's what I need. Here's what I want. 
and the club have responded in the best possible way uh, to make that happen for their head coach, who, of course, himself signed an extension to his contract and they're doing their best to appease him, in your words, uh, with regards to keeping him at the club. Other side of Manchester, Graham. Uh, interesting times at Manchester United. They have uh, given Ole Gunnar Solskjaer an extension on his contract of three years. They've also given him some quite nice presents in regards to the players they've bought. We don't need to speak about Jadon Sancho because that's boring and we've done it for the last year and a half. But we do need to speak about Rafael Varane, who, of course, uh, is also a recruit to uh, United and the possibility that Kieran Trippier may be making the journey back to England from Atletico Madrid uh, to join Varane in that defence. It appears, that, again, that uh, United, a bit like City, are definitely building up a much greater depth of squad for what they hope will be um, an actual title challenge because obviously there have been false dawns certainly uh, over the last five, six years uh, with regards to anything uh, being realistic with uh, in terms of trophies, etc, etc, since Mourinho left. So um, I'm intrigued by Varane because it's someone that Carlo Ancelotti had at, at Madrid before. I know it's a player he really likes. They've lost Sergio Ramos now and Varane. So your first choice pairing in central defence has all of a sudden disappeared. Um, what can we expect from Madrid next season in terms of will they replace uh, by signing or are there players coming through who perhaps we're not as familiar with um, who can actually live up to the standards of Ramos and Varane? Um, it's just a very difficult question to answer. First of all, they've signed David Alaba from Bayern on a free transfer. So in financial terms, to, to get rid of both Ramos and Varane's wages and to take what I would categorise as reasonable money for a player who's a year from going out of contract in the Frenchman's terms and to take the Austrian in without transfer expenditure, but OK, on a big salary. You know, net in these times of not only restrictions, but net in these times where Florentino, Florentino Perez continues to desperately try and save money, which he's been doing for three summers now, to either get first it was either Neymar or Mbappe. Neymar, I think, is is now not only off the agenda. I think it's a forgotten dream, and I think correctly so. But there's a a huge obsession with. Mbappe, I, I have no doubt that very soon, I don't think this season, but I also don't think it's impossible that it's done this season. Mbappe is is patently not fully enamoured of, of staying at Paris Saint-Germain, albeit that they look a much more potent force now. The relationship with uh, sports director at PSG, Leonardo, is, is I think I think it's broken. It's not. It's not good. It's certainly not in a shape where Mbappe is going to continue negotiating with him. He's going to negotiate with the owner. And therefore, Florentino's idea about getting Mbappe is is lodged in his brain. He tends to get his way. He will accept um, having to to fight a long war rather than a short battle. And it's going to be this summer or next summer that Mbappe is a Real Madrid player. Of that, I'm certain. That takes a lot of um, money if there's going to be a transfer fee now or if there's going to be a loan now. Like, I think in Spain there's a lot of educated chatter. It's not something that's been in the papers much, but I'm being guided that there's an idea that they mimic the way in which Monaco surrendered to Paris Saint-Germain when Mbappé moved there, which was a loan at first with a guaranteed sum at the end of the loan. Now, with Mbappé, given that he's going out of contract... In, in a year's time, that seems a little bit less manoeuvrable. But there is still the idea that rather than saying, um, saying, okay, we're just going to wait and you're going to lose him for nothing, that they take him now on a loan and that there's a guaranteed sum at the end of the season when, in effect, he'd have been worth nothing and, and Paris Saint-Germain would recoup nothing. So let, let's see how that goes. All I'm, all I'm flagging up is that in terms of the central defence replacements, they seem they've renewed Nacho. Um, Nacho is is not an automatic centre back, but can and has played there. Militao is is young, eager, is developing. 
the, the, the finished article, no. I'm very unhappy if he has to play at left centre-back where Alaba would normally play. But still, interesting. Uh, Victor Chust is coming through the, the, the ranks. There are other options. Mondi, who's now injured but coming back from a little bit of recuperative surgery, who normally plays at left-back, can play at left centre-back. It might be that they bring in another uh, defender. It might well be that. Um, I think they're a little short. But in terms of how their operations are working, Ian, the, the, the entire, I am certain, the entire Super League announcement, which was botched, which was shotgunned, it was like a shotgun wedding, was because Florentino Perez didn't have the money for Haaland, thought that if he could galvanize it and, and make it real he could get a forward payment in order to be everywhere else to to Holland at um at British Dortmund he is with the, with the understanding that Benzema is is committed to staying he's aware that Benzema is coming to the end of you know what will be what will be regarded as one of the great Real Madrid careers his age is against him. He's also going to gradually become more of a 10 than a 9. And uh, Florentino has a dream that unites Haaland and Mbappe in the same white shirt. And they sweep the board again, whether it be domestically or in Europe. So that requires a huge, huge war chest. It's a diff- They are very difficult operations to, to complete. But that's his objective. So how they replace Varane and Ramos is has to be factored into the idea that they are they are hugely trying to amass the right way to get and in Florentino's book Ian it's I'm not predicting it can happen but in Florentino's book he wants both of them now now it might be that he doesn't get either or both until next summer but everybody that listens to this what's that space keep talking about it over the coming months if it doesn't happen this 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 August because it, it's an outright obsession for the man who has tended to to make his dreams come true. How would you see Varane and Harry Maguire partnering up in the sense of Manchester United's defence? Because they're very different styles of player, obviously, which is not a bad thing. But Maguire is often criticised for his lack of pace, for lack of concentration, or at least slips in concentration, which can often lead to mistakes and therefore goal opportunities created uh, against United, which otherwise wouldn't be there. Varane might need to be something of a cleaner. Yeah, I understand your point. Um, you know, I've got a reasonable regard for Maguire. I, I, when he came in, I said I thought that it would change their um, leadership, their aggression, their their aerial ball winning. And he, again, he might be imperfect. But if you remember, Pallister and Bruce were legends for United. And how many caps did they get for England? Very, very few. They weren't regarded well by the England management. You know, beauty's an eye of the beholder. I, I think that Maguire has made a difference both to England and Manchester United. Um, I'm dealing with a loaded pack. I interviewed Varane at great length about an hour and a half for a documentary called The Player um, in April, just after they'd knocked Liverpool out. And we were talking specifically about his game, about um, what's changed, where his proficiencies are, where his preferences are, talking about how he interprets zonal or man-to-man marking, how he interprets the need to sprint, the need to position himself better, tackling. And... It was a hugely entertaining, hugely, you know, not all players can talk about what they do. And equally, still fewer players will talk about the process of how they have tried to improve themselves or admit flaws. And Varane broke the mould a little bit in that. At the end of the interview, he gave me, he said, listen, he actually sent the press officer back up with his Liverpool jersey, jersey played Liverpool in the night before. And he said, speak, to, please be in touch with my brother. Now his brother's his agent. Uh, and it was only you've had this. Uh, I suppose Duncan said this. Is it, sometimes you're, you're, you know, the, the hair in the back of your hand, or your back of your neck stands up because you think, uh-uh, okay, there's a reason for this. We've had a good interview, but it's not because of that. It's not because of an outpouring of love like, God, I've never done an interview like that. It's because he knew I was an Anglophone and they both knew that even in April, it was Varane's preference, not just to move to England, but to move to Manchester United. Now, I can also say truthfully that Manchester United from a very, very high level phoned me and asked me about Varane, personality, behaviour. What will it be like when we speak to his brother? Um, 
what do you think about them in terms of ambition? And what they found, I think it's now been widely reported, but what is absolutely true is they found that Varane was like, I'm not leaving Madrid because I want more money. I'm not leaving Madrid because I've had a falling out with anybody. I want you to make a good deal with Madrid because I owe them. But this is, uh, what do we call it in English? Uh, because they, it's been a club. This has been like a, uh, a thorn in my side. A thorn in my side because when I was at Lille, I was on the point of joining the club. I was convinced by Charlotte's Ferguson until Zidane phoned. And that has bubbled away there. The idea of playing at Old Trafford, the idea of winning trophies in England, the idea of matching myself up against the demands of the Premier League to see what it's like. All of that, all of those things had been in his mind for a significant amount of time, but not like, I wonder whether Chelsea or Liverpool or City might pay me more. I want Manchester United. Now, Ian, you involve yourself in, what do you call it when you're, they call it due diligence, don't they? Is that the right phrase? That is the right phrase, yeah. In well, terms in, of in researching reduced, players, yeah. Okay, so if your research was reduced by an absolute clear-cut knowledge that the player you're investigating fundamentally wants to, to play for your club crest in your club colours and will lower his bargaining position by saying so, that isn't just a simpler process. It's very reassuring because you know that the player's done his research, knows about the club and its playing style, knows about Harry Maguire, knows about Lindelof, knows about Solskjaer's brand of playing and sees similarities because... Varane would explain it that at Real Madrid, he played both zonal and man-to-man, which almost every team does when it comes to defending set plays. But Real Madrid, like Manchester United, are often in games where they're playing so high up the pitch that you have to be man-to-man. But often then, when they're defending in open play, they'll play zonally. Um, So he felt utterly comfortable with the the comparison between the brand of football that Real Madrid play and the brand of football Manchester United play. Um, he's reasonably happy with physical play. He, he explained to me that although he was born fast and has remained an athlete, he prefers to position himself better. He prefers to read the game now. He now regards that if he has to make a sprint into a challenge or make a tackle, he regards that as a disappointment. That's his last option. You said, how will he fit? All I can tell you is that he's a young man, bursting full of ambition. He's still athletically very good. He wants to be in the club that he's at. He knows the type of defensive systems and defensive uh, companions that he's going to have. So whether he's a success or not, the early oiling of the wheels has been done and has been done for months because, and, and his brother was utterly brilliant in how he conducted himself in the negotiations. United will, will, will filter that out. They will tell you that for free. And I think that in terms of the, the personality, the athleticism, the match reading and the winning experience that Rafa Varane brings, I, I think they've gone to the showroom and bought a Rolls-Royce at a bargain price because he was out of contract in a year's time. I think it's a very good signing. Slightly more, not, I wouldn't say confusing, uh, Graham, because as we both know, uh, every chief executive or club owner will tell you that he's never had a manager uh, in his employment who said he's got enough players. Thanks very much. I don't need anyone else. Um, but the um, the sort of the word swirling around Kieran Trippier possibly making a return to the Premier League from Atletico, where he's been successful by and large uh, with regards to obviously winning La Liga uh, last season, but also in general, uh, he has been much uh, vaunted for his play. But he's coming to a team that spent not so long ago, £50 million on a right-back in Aaron Basaka, who is a direct rival for the right-back position uh, with England. It would seem that... There's something more to this that maybe Trippi has decided that uh, he's not as comfortable in Spanish football as perhaps we assumed he was, um, or that there's a reason for why he wants to return to England beyond football, um, because it's not necessarily um, a duel that uh, looks particularly attractive when you're up against someone as athletic and also skilled as Juan Basaka for your weekly place in the team. Yeah, look, without being argumentative, I don't think players look like a, look at it like that. I think that's a, a good way for us to write about it. And we like to 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 build stories, to, to build drama, to build to play people off against one another. But I think every confident footballer, and you know Kieran Trippier is a confident footballer. Um he was a reasonably important part in England's push to the semi-finals of the World Cup and then to the final of the Eurocopa. 
he was, <clears throat> excuse me, the crook in my throat, he was undoubtedly one of the players, even with a 10-game ban, one of the players of Atleti's championship winning season. He's not short of confidence. I also think he's not short of character. If you look at the man who walked out of the, um, uh, the Metropolitano, having lost the Champions League final with Spurs and said, I wasn't good enough. I haven't been good enough all season. I'm going to have to word with myself. This is my standards. And, and the next minute he's at Atleti and his standards go up and he learns Spanish quickly and he, was, he becomes a fundamental part over two seasons of Atleti's push for trophies. Then you're talking about somebody who's not going to... And, and Wambasaka is patently a good athletic footballer. Somebody I've spoken to, a very shy boy. It surprised the, the life out of me exactly how... Um, reserved and shy he is but people like him I don't think Trippier is going to look at it and think well should I fear the competition I'm going to be careful here because um, I know a little bit more about it than I should say but the things I can say for sure yes United definitely definitely want him yes he does want to come home not in terms of banging on the door let me out but having won the title uh, at Letty at his age with the England thing patently growing um, with a World Cup coming around pretty quickly on the horizon. And I, and I think that if you've been one of those daring footballers from Britain and Ireland, because they, over our lives, again, they've tended not to want to even risk going abroad. When you actively want it, you, you try it, you win. And if Manchester United are in, in, interested in you, why wouldn't you think, I tell you what, this could be the moment. This could be the moment to take what I've learned in, in red and white in Spain and, and put it in red and white in, in Salford. Look, the second thing is that, again, what I know is Atleti and particularly Simone, Simeone are utterly, utterly determined not to let him go. They have a clause in his contract whereby if he plays X number of games this season, which unless he's injured, Simeone will ensure he does, there's another year adds on to his contract. So they are treating the negotiations, they're sent to United, they're offering ridiculous prices. I mean, truly ridiculous prices that given Trippier's age and the fact that United went into this thinking he's only got a year in his deal, it doesn't tally with the, the, the calculations they did to prepare themselves for this bid. So because Simeone actively doesn't want to lose him and because Atleti are quoting prohibitive prices and because Trippier only has a preference to go back to Manchester United rather than, you know, I'm going on strike. Ballpark, I think the likelihood is that he stays at Atleti. I can't say definitely because I do not speak to, you know, his camp in detail. I can't tell you, listen, he's going he's gonna to force his way out or you'll settle for staying. What I do know about the state of negotiations, what I'm explaining to you there is fact. And therefore, on balance with how many weeks of the market left, Ian? Is it, is it really the end of August? Uh, it's September the 3rd, I think, it closes. Okay, okay. With, so with relatively little time, let's call it a, a month, there's certainly time to do the deal. But I think on balance, I think Aletti are going to retain the man, want to retain the man, do as little business as they can, apart from retouching the brought in uh, Rodrigo de Paul. So I, I think for the price that they're being asked, United will not buy. And I can't see quite yet what would lower the price. Maybe uh, Trippi needs to go on to Rafa Varane's brother if he wants the move, the sorts of things. <laughs> maybe. Maybe he needs to be in a contract that isn't about to extend by one year if someone who plays him often enough this season, which Varane didn't have. <laughs> Indeed, Le Medicien. One other player I want to talk about, Graham, um, in this La Liga special uh, because it seems that English clubs are kind of setting a trend now of going to the Liga and and taking some of the best yes, known and best talent Thanks as well. That. Yeah, thank you. Uh, no, well, no, no. Uh, look, I'd say there's more than enough talent in Spanish football to go around. Um, but Joe Kunde, the, the France international, yeah. um, a buyout clause of around 75 million euros. Yeah. We know Chelsea um, have agreed to personal terms with the player uh, they haven't yet met the, that asking price uh, to Sevilla um, with regards to buying uh, the player out of his contract um, the general word around Stamford Bridge is that if they need to they will do that um, it's certainly the case that uh, Big Tam Tuchel as we like to call him uh, is um, certainly uh, not entirely satisfied with his roster of defenders and um, will already has uh, been offering or allowed the offering of Kurt Zuma and Andreas Christensen uh, to other 
clubs with regards to um, potential moves, stroke swap deals, part exchanges, etc. Another, you know, big smoke signal that this is going to happen um, because he's not uh, satisfied with what he's got uh, in terms of his defence and he wants to beef that up. And Kunde obviously is one of the best uh, young defenders in, in European football. Um, again, uh, it's, it's one of those transfers where the players left France to go to La Liga, developed uh, almost exponentially in a short amount of time uh, for someone his age. Uh, and of course, it's you have to look at it and think, well, it's partly the, the riches of the Premier League which is making this attractive, this move, because clearly he will be paid more than double what he's currently getting. Yeah, but there's, now there's, there's, some, there's something else that lies there. You're not wrong. You, you're not wrong. But let's draw a line under that and say that when he was at Bordeaux, his coach was Gus Poyet. Now, Gus was, before he, Gus became what's currently a very successful coach um, of Universidad Católica, Seb Rosenthal's old club, um, he was one of our collaborators on the Liga Television. And the instant that Monchi did that deal for Kunde, um, Gus said, look, there's a fabulous player in there. He said he was, he was ultra young with, with Gus. I guess he was about 18. He said he loves to go on a little excursion. You know, you, you play him at right centre back, right back, and you'll look up and you'll find him playing at left wing or centre forward. And he just has this massive urge to go and enjoy himself on the pitch. But he said, believe me, believe me, believe me, there's a marvellous football in there coming. Now, what's happened um, at Sevilla is that he's had really good tuition from Lopetegui, but irrespective of the fact that he earned money more money at Chelsea than does at Sevilla. Unquestionably, he will. Kunde is driven by wanting to be regarded, but being able to prove he's the best in his position in the world. That is, again, without any question, it's a matter of fact that he believes that's what his his job is. He doesn't believe he's there now, but he believes that the way to do that is to be in a team, and I'm not saying wherever, but in a team that could pay 75 million to buy him, that could give him the right wages, but which will be outright competing every year to either be champion or win the Champions League. Now, Sevilla are a trophy-winning club. That's proven. But they haven't won a title since 1946. And they might, you know, it's ironic, the very fact that he's going to leave, I think, um, will undermine their possibility to have a shot at the title this season, which with the right... Um, gardening done on the squad and he's it, it, basically I think there's made, they've made one deal because they've got Lamella and Brian Hill to Tottenham and I'm, I'm crying into my tea over the loss of Brian Hill believe me he's, he's got a lot of learning to do he's very small very young but he's a gorgeous footballer and I just lament that, that he's gone Lamella let's wait and see but Sevilla haven't really done good business apart from Lamella and that's very very unusual for them and they need Partly, they've got Dimitrovic in goal, the Serbian goalkeeper, who's fabulous. But could they very nearly went to Manchester City when they came in from last season? But Manchester City went stop. I'm not sure about the price, and there's other things like I'm not quite sure about his height because if you look at whatever impact Ruben Diaz had, and however their scouting had weighed the two up, they fancied Kunde first, couldn't get him or didn't want to pay the price, and got a much sturdier, much taller. Probably more experienced. I think he had more games under his belt than, than Kunde did. But Kunde is um, ambitious, clever. He's a learner. He's actually a really good footballer beyond anything else. He can. People have been talking about he can play at right wing back if you want to. Yes, he could. He. People also talk about the fact that he's not particularly huge um, for a centre back. But he's immensely, immensely talented. And if you look at the way that, that, that Chelsea play remorselessly, how quick they are to close down spaces and how much they do ask their defensive players to be adept and intelligent on the ball. It's not playing out like Pep does, but their they're, they're central defenders are not hoofers of the ball. The idea of him learning under Thiago Silva um, is high. I think Chelsea are trying to reduce the price by putting in... Um, they, they try to put in Zuma, but that's obviously a deal that's going elsewhere. They've tried to put in Kennedy, who's been playing in various teams in La Liga, and, and in my view, he's not good enough for Seville. And therefore, I think the likelihood is if they want their man, they're probably going to have to go at the full release clause. Certainly, Seville will do a deal where they, they claim it's the full release clause, however the terms come together. 
And Chelsea will be buying a very good footballer. Again, I, 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 I'm not going to say he's he's perfect. He's going to dominate the world. He's not a particularly eerily challenge, challenging defender. But how many times is Chelsea going to get beaten in the air? I don't know. Uh, suffice to say, Ian, I, th- I think that Sevilla need the money in, even though they made a profit on the, a huge profit in the Brian Hill deal. They need that money in in order. Seville need to be do, getting that money in in order to be doing more business. And again, I think one of the due diligences you find yourself doing in your work is checking out a player's ambition, character, attitude. How will he react to a new environment? How will he react to new challenges? And the answer, I bet you, with Kunde is well, tick every box. Well, we look forward to seeing him in the Premier League, that's for sure. Um, we should also just mention very quickly that one of the backroom staff at Tottenham of a certain age has already nicknamed Brian Hill Benny. Uh, I'm sure some of you will get the reference. Of course, the players have no idea what he's talking about, but they've, they've adopted it anyway. So Benny Hill is now playing for Tot- Tottenham Hotspur. Um, watch out for the music. Graham, it would not be a La Liga special without you giving us the latest on uh, the GOAT that is Leo Messi. Uh, Mm. Lots and lots of speculation that the contract has been agreed but not yet signed for him to stay and indeed complete his career at FC de Barcelona. Um, Is that your understanding? And more uh, than just that, um, you have reported extensively for us on the Transfer Window podcast uh, about Barcelona's financial difficulties regarding um, their debts and their spending, etc. Uh, where exactly are they getting the money from, uh, not just to do the messy contract, but indeed if they're going to actually uh, mount a challenge for trophies next season? Um, first of all, yeah, nobody should be in any doubt at all that Messi has chosen in principle to stay at Football Club Barcelona and that the deal has been done and that he's more than halved his basic wage um, or what he would demand. Uh, nor should anybody be in any doubt that at the moment um, Barcelona are about 100 million short in terms of um, revenue or dropping wages that they're paying at the moment of being able to fulfil the financial fair play that would allow them to register Messi. So, in other words, if Barcelona weren't in a terrible, terrible financial state, I mean, genuinely atrocious, then they would have re-signed and registered Leo Messi right now. I mean, remember that, uh, what are we, um, August the 4th. So, Messi's still on his holidays. He hasn't started pre-season training. Um, he's in Ibiza right now. And Barcelona kick off, I think, I forget which day they start, but, you know, La Liga starts on... Friday the 13th. I have a suspicion that Barca play on the on the 14th. So we're, um, you know, we're maximum 10, 11 days away from Barcelona playing football again in a competitive um, state. And they can't register uh, uh, Leo Messi with La Liga because the financial fair play with La Liga, which is going to be the subject of a general meeting um, over the next 48 hours, we're in a state where um, Getafe's president, Ángel Torres, a season ticket holder at Real Madrid, a staunch Madrid man, and a Getafe president, somebody who's definitely got under the skin of Barcelona again and again over his, his reign, has said, look, La Liga can't afford to let Leo Messi leave Barcelona. He's so important to La Liga, we must all show some flexibility. Well, that's a pretty extraordinary statement from somebody whose club stands to benefit individually only if they're more likely to beat Barcelona in, in, in clashes between the two clubs. And if you look at the scores, you know, between the, the sides over the, the length of Messi's contract, he's done a lot of damage to Hitafe. So um, there may be a mood among certain presidents about Leo Messi's value to La Liga, not to Barcelona. And, you know, what's true is that Javier Tebas, as president of La Liga, has just negotiated a a $3.2 billion investment from CBC Capital Partners to to buy a 10% share of a newly formed company that is a a business spin-off of of La Liga. And and this deal apparently values Real Madrid and Barcelona about 24 billion euros. Now, there's going to be some reinvestment of that 3.2 billion euros into La Liga. And I wonder if it's the timing that allows 
La Liga to something that I don't think they should do. Relax the very stringent. This is La Liga's financial fair play, not UEFA's, which is attempting to try and make sure that clubs don't burn themselves out with debt. And they, they ask, you know, the maximum of your wage expenditure to be 70% of revenue. Now, that's already gigantic. And Barcelona are way over that. I mean, way over that. And they're trying to sell players desperately. So, you know, the fact is that, that much though they're stalwarts and have long contracts, if there was a good offer for Busquets or Alba, both of whom were absolute standout footballers at their advanced ages for Spain in the Euros, they would take that. They were trying to sell Griezmann to Atleti and they still would sell Griezmann to Atleti because the Frenchman is in favour, he's liked by the coaching staff, the players and by the president, but he's a gigantic earner. I mean, gigantic and at his age, and Atleti do want Griezmann back, they try to do the swap with Saul, somebody that Manchester United are very interested in too. Don't be surprised to see Saul. I mean, OK, Liverpool's interest is very strong, but do not be shocked if United come in for him. Anyway, the long and short is that if Griezmann doesn't get to go to Atleti, where Simeone and he are still thick as thieves... His word is, I don't want to go anywhere else. I'll stay at Barcelona happily, first choice. If I have to go back to Atleti, then I will. Otherwise, I'm not moving. So they're in this Mexican standoff that, where there's not one Mexican player involved, sadly. But they, Laporta and Messi have got it agreed. But they can't quite get the money to say to La Liga, we are financially healthy enough to do this. And that's why several players are still for sale. They've tried to offload desk. Frankly, Ian, there's, there's very few players beyond um, Pedri and... I exclude Ter Stegen. Say Pedri and Messi that they wouldn't sell right now if the price were right. And and I don't know how they get out of this financial straitjacket. They need, you know, super Harry Houdini to get out of it. But, the, the, you know, kickoff time is coming. Player registration date is coming. And there's this enormous fanfare of, could it possibly be that Leo Messi actually has to go somewhere else in order to play? Because Barcelona can't afford, to, can't convince La Liga that they've met their guidelines in order to be able to re-sign him. It's an unbelievable story. And, and if there's a club out there that wants to go and buy a footballer at Barcelona, then although Barcelona will squeeze them for every maximum amount they can in order to be able to... Ian, although they say that they will be able to, they haven't yet registered Kun Aguero and Eric Garcia and Depay to, to be competitively part of La Liga because they too are subject to the financial fair play restrictions. It's a big old mess at Barcelona right now in terms of their relationship with La Liga's rules. And uh, I'm not completely... I think Eric Garcia, Depay and Aguero will probably be registered. But how they get all of them registered plus Messi on deals that they can show legitimate to La Liga and meet fair play stipulations, I, I don't have that answer. Sounds like uh, a job for Rafa Varane's brother. Um, get uh, Juan Laporta to get get him in to sort out the mess, perhaps. Um, it would be astonishing, Graham, absolutely astonishing, if um, everything that we have seen uh, at Barcelona um, with regards to Messi, that it, he ends up not being registered. It seems incomprehensible. And, and, and you'd like to believe that somewhere, somehow, there'll be sufficient... You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours in order for it to happen. It's just that I wish I could tell you, even speculatively, how it might happen. Although I do guide you to the announcement about the CVC partners' investment in La Liga and that gigantic sum coming in. So, you know, everybody be aware over the next 48, 72 hours about, oh, suddenly clubs have decided that they can relax FFP a little bit and boy, look what's happened. But beyond that, if that doesn't happen, then damn it, you'll have to speak to me at the end of the month or, or you know, when the transfer market's finished and, and say to me, how the hell did they do it? Because right now, it looks like a pretty crappy picture. If you're Juan, if you're Juan Laporta, boy, you, you've got a bloody tough August. Well, I seem to remember you and I hanging about Madrid when um, they had similar-sized debts uh, in relative terms and then sold the old training ground to the Ciudad Sportiva. Yeah, uh, they did, but no no, no such deal available to Barcelona. COVID now, overpaying, wages overpaid. I mean, it's been... Listen, listen, if you want to put one thing down on the record in the, the, the Transfer Market podcast about, like, Bartomeu, who, who lives about, you know, 60 feet away from me and because he got kicked out of his, his marital home in his little, you know, Pierre Terra that he lives in now. 
his ruling, his running of football club Barcelona will go down in history as not only an outright joke, but there's still criminal investigations into that. So in terms of football club Barcelona, I wish the only story was messy, but watch this space. Well, I do remember speaking to Emi Butragueño at the time uh, when uh, the effectively local council bought Madrid's training ground in order to uh, add something like 10 times its actual value in order to get them out. And uh, Butragueño saying, this is Real Madrid club de football. It will never, ever go bust. <laughs> this is how we roll. Yeah, exactly. That's that's just that's just one of the things that we all accept. <laughs> because if if it needed be, the king would come in and lend us the money to keep us going. So maybe we're going to see some such um, Harry Houdini app, but it won't be the king of Spain that's risking football club busting. So let's settle on that. Well, Pep's got quite a few quid stashed away. Maybe he'll put his hand in his pocket. You never know. <laughs> You're more optimistic than me. <laughs> Graham Hunter, thank you very much for your time, your insight, your knowledge and your good humour and of course uh, your generosity with your time uh, on the Transfer Window podcast uh, the first one of this week this has been a La Liga special and special it always is with Graham on the show obviously you can catch him on La Liga TV which will be um, up and running as well right now, Graham, are you not doing preview stuff already? Yeah, La Liga is um, 7 days, 24 hours and new live programming begins next week sensational well I'll certainly be tuned in and I would strongly strongly recommend that you do too um, that's it for today uh, however if you want to be in touch on our social media platforms then please use at transfer podcast on Instagram Facebook and Twitter Graham is at bumper Graham and obviously don't forget uh, Graham's own podcast which is the big interview uh Highly recommended as much as La Liga TV is as well. Uh, I'm at Garbo SJ on Twitter. That's it for this particular pod. Until our later one in the week, it just falls me to say, be safe, stay well, and thanks for listening. <laughs>